0: Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well here you go. Greetings brothers and sisters, welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup. I'm your humble host, D-Base, and that's talent on loan from Kolob. Now, my crew and I, we roommate weekly on the Great and Spacious Beehive. So, thanks so much for joining us to discuss the latest current events in Mormonism. This is episode 93, and this is December 10th, 2023. There's some disturbing Mormon sexual assault hush money allegations that really blew up the net this week. Incredible stuff. There's also a bizarre Book of Mormon themed movie, which is hitting the big screen. The LDS Church's Christmas devotional has some very trendy moments there's some things that have gone really viral from that. And we have yet another Tim Ballard lawsuit. Now, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm at mormonnewsroundup.org or you can send me an email to www.colob at mormonnewsroundup.org. I'd like to invite onto my program, my fabulous co-host here, Enos Envy. Enos, how's it going?
1: Hey, good evening. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, tremendous. Uh, Now, you're using an avatar here. uh, And why are you using that avatar, Enos? Twitter
1: is my social media drug of choice. And uh, I've been on there Way back when Colch was still known as the Cultural Hall, uh, I've seen Exmo Twitter kind of take off. I'm probably one of the uh, harshest critics on Twitter for the Mormon church, but um, very rarely I do anonymously mention my personal family situation. So we're about half TBM, half uh, Exmo. So for that reason, I choose to stay anonymous, just as a courtesy to my TBM family. The church has uh, driven quite the wedge.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so what is your one-minute Mormon story? What's your Mormon bona fides?
1: In uh, 2018, I moved away from my hometown, and uh, right before COVID hit and uh, the church is closed, we started looking outside of, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to tell the story.
0: Oh, let me just uh, jog your memory. Your Twitter profile says that you're an Elder Scorn president. You were a, a, a seminary teacher, a BYU graduate, a returned missionary. You know, you were okay. born in the okay. church, faithful parents, or whatever it was.
1: So I grew up a member, born in the covenant, uh, same as my wife. My dad's a bishop. My grandfather's in the stake presidency. Uh, I'm just trying to save them a little bit. Okay. Did seminary, went to BYU after high school, served a two-year mission, uh, married in the Salt Lake Temple, uh, basically did the whole Mormon thing until about the age of 35. I started going into that faith crisis mode. And, uh, you know, for, for me, the church had to be true. It wasn't um, good enough to do just because it was a habit or a tradition. The truth claims had to stand up, and, and they just fell apart.
0: I understand. That's a very common uh, Mormon story. I'm sure we could delve a lot more into that, but we're not really about deep diving into Mormon stories in this uh, podcast. We're going to cover the news, and we've got a lot of news to cover this week, so thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. We've been talking about this collaboration for a long time, so I'm really lucky to have you. Now, our first article of this week here, Enos, is that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has appointed a new apostle into the ranks here. And this is really, uh, really causing a stir here. So it's Patrick Kieran, and he's the next former apostle who's replacing the late M. Russell Ballard.
2: Bored as an apostle to fill the vacancy left by the passing of M. Russell Ballard. This is a positive step for the church, as the last talk he gave at conference didn't just say,
0: Abuse
3: constitutes the influence of the adversary.
2: But he actively spoke to victims of abuse and offered them comfort. The abuse was not, is not, and never will be your fault, no matter what the abuser or anyone else may have said to the contrary. When you have been the victim of cruelty, incest, or any other perversion, you are not the one who needs to repent. You are not responsible. He is an oddly compassionate choice for the current regime. But unfortunately, he has still been ordained illegitimately in contradiction of DNC 2065. There should have been a common consent vote before he was ordained. Despite the illegitimacy
0: of his position, is his call to the 12 a positive move? Enos, we've got a new apostle in the ranks here. Um, what do you think about uh, Patrick Kieran?
1: Hey, it doesn't happen every day. I know uh, I've run a couple polls to have people guess who the next apostle might be. This one never came up. This is definitely out of. Right field and uh interesting, interesting pick.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're well known on Twitter for running those polls. Uh, there are a lot of people way into those. And quite frankly, I thought that the number one, uh, you tell me who you thought the poll was from your results, but I would have thought that Amon Corbett would have been top of the list for a replacement considering he's a black apostle and we've never had a black apostle. Was he near the top or what were the results that you found?
1: He was. Uh, I believe Kevin Pearson was near the top. Uh, Brad yeah. Wilcox did not get a lot of votes. So uh, it was, it was definitely Corbett and Pearson. Neck and yeah,
0: neck. with Kevin Pearson being the Utah area president, which is probably the most powerful area presidency. He's a very high profile. Both of those were definitely in the runnings for sure. A um, little bit surprising about this one that we have another white apostle, um, but it is from outside of the United States because Kieran is a uh, United Kingdom. And also, uh, you know, it's a little bit surprising that we didn't get a traditional businessman or a lawyer because Kieran, he was in particularly in communications and public affairs. So that's a little different from the typical tried and true Mormon, Utah, Idaho born white guy. Instead, we've got someone you know who, who's also a businessman or a lawyer. Instead, we got some from the United Kingdom who's in public relations and in um, various industries. So it's just a little bit of a surprise.
1: Yeah, it seems like a gap that they needed to go pull a draft pick for if they were a uh, professional sports team. This is uh, something they've been missing and uh, they're overloaded and heavy on the lawyers and uh, businessmen.
0: The last thing before we leave this article is, do you think that the fact that Kieran is kind of known for being compassionate, for being, shall we say, an ally or an advocate for those who've been abused, do you think that the church is really calling upon him to try to rehabilitate because this last year the church you know had so many sexual abuse claims right. that went viral that went global that went international? do you think they're bringing him in as a response? Does the church actually care about its public image so they're bringing him in or is that just a coincidence?
1: No, the church doesn't do anything that's not calculated and contrived in some way. So I think with the popularity of Uchtdorf, um, I'm sure they've heard uh, feedback after he came out of the first presidency. And uh, this is a step back in that uh, progressive direction, I
0: think. Very nice. Now, speaking of sexual abuse, there's a big article that came out this week. We're gonna, this is our featured news article, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time on this. And this is really shocking stuff here. It came from the Associated Press once again. Michael Resendez, the crusader, known for his floodlit when he shined the light on the Catholic Church in New England, Back, I believe it was in nineteen in the 1990s, where he showed all of the sexual abuse that was happening in the Catholic Church. Well, he's doing the same thing with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he's obtained here some very interesting information. Specifically, he's obtained copies of recordings which show how the Mormon Church protects itself from child sex abuse claims. So what are we seeing in this article here, Enos? They uh, are discussing with one of
1: the victims a basically a hush money settlement to destroy uh, records and not discuss publicly the terms of their settlement. Uh, This is one of those things that is probably more common than we know since the finances are closed, but I would love to see how much the church actually spends out of the church funds on these abuse settlements.
0: Yes. Now we are going to get into that. First of all, this is an important note. The church itself doesn't pay these settlements out of pocket. It doesn't come from tithing. It doesn't come from Ensign Peak. It doesn't come from the treasury. It doesn't come from the church's commercial ventures. The church has a specific sexual abuse insurer that pays out all of these particular claims. So the hush money payment here that we're seeing is from the church's sexual abuse insurer, who, by the way, the church is suing. Because there's been so many sexual abuse claims that the insurer has said, we are not going to be paying all of these out. And the church is suing its own sexual abuse insurer. So we can disabuse ourselves, first of all, of the notion that the church is being magnanimous and is taking the tithing payments for the hush money. No, it's coming from insurance. And believe it or not, there is a huge market for corporate sexual abuse insurance. I know that sounds crazy.
1: Well, those rates uh, must be going up. Otherwise, they wouldn't need to
0: sue. One can only imagine, especially with how many sexual abuse things that we're seeing for sure. It's kind of a complicated case. Let me uh, give you a quick summary of what this case is all about in particular. Let's give you a few details.
2: Chris is at it again. This time, he has come into possession of audio recordings made of a meeting between Chelsea Goodrich, her mother Lorraine, and church attorney Paul Writing. Chelsea alleges her father John, a former LDS bishop, used to sexually abuse her. Chelsea and Lorraine had come to the meeting with one clear request. Would the church allow a local Idaho bishop, which in the Mormon church is akin to a Catholic priest, to testify at John Goodrich's trial? The bishop who heard John Goodrich's spiritual confession was Michael Miller, and the article goes on to say the church would discourage Miller from testifying, citing a law that exempts clergy from having to divulge information about child sex abuse that is gleaned in a confession. However, according to the Associated Press, Paul Writing, who is the director of the Risk Management Division for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, did offer money to Chelsea and her mother Lorraine in exchange for their silence on the alleged abuse. Uh, I have authorization up to $300,000. What exactly does the church gain from their
1: silence? It uh, seems like the church's strategy is to have so many scandals people can't keep track of them. So this is the service that Mormon News Roundup does. Uh, There's been a number of podcasts but the news is coming so fast it's really difficult to keep things straight at this point.
0: Yeah, so her her father was a mormon bishop at the time that he was engaging in a decades-long sexual abuse of her the original offer to her was for ninety thousand dollars and then eventually the church came back with another offer of three hundred thousand dollars and we're hearing for the first time from the risk the head of the risk management uh department um, mr some people are saying ridding i believe it is uh you know writing ridding it's amazing to see the behind the scenes here of the church's representative telling people we don't want you to talk about what happened to yourself Please sign this non-disclosure agreement and accept this money. And we know from the fact that you know up to ninety percent of men who are sexually abused don't report it to anyone, and up to two-thirds of women who are sexually abused they also don't report. So the fact that even you know how many sexual abuse claims are coming out from the church this year, considering how many of them don't report to begin with, and then the ones that do report the church will give NDAs and pay those people off. So the only ones that actually make it to court are people who have reported and the church has not paid off. So there's just, it's like the tip of the iceberg. What we see in Floodlit and in other uh, outlets that are covering the church sexual abuse, it's only the tip of the iceberg.
1: Oh, absolutely. And we should mention that even though uh, he might be representing the insurance company, he begins the meeting with them with a prayer. He's there in a church capacity, ministering to them with this offer
0: right i mean so you, you've you been sexually abused for years from your own father from who, who was a mormon bishop at the time and now where the church is you know praying saying that this is something that is ordained by god that this settlement is somehow some kind of a divine that that, that the lord is looking upon the settlement and approving it that's a real surprise here and of course you know that the members are there to support the church right i mean it, it's never the other way around right that's exactly right yeah yeah. It's,
1: it really is an abusive relationship uh, in terms, I mean, in this case, physically and sexually, but emotionally, financially, it, it really doesn't end with uh, the amount of grasp and reach that the church has into the lives of the membership.
0: Yeah, and the thing about to Mr. Goodrich here is that he was a dentist, and after he abused his daughter— he went on to abuse at least one other victim as well. And we have the text messages that he exchanged between him and her, where he said, oh, well, it was fun as heck, but it was wrong, said dentist John Goodrich of Idaho, admitting that he drugged a woman who accused him of having non-consensual sex with her. Goodrich was once a, a Mormon bishop, but is not currently an LDS church member. So he was his membership was removed. But this isn't, as we've seen with many of these cases, it's not an isolated case once people start to abuse other people, they it, it becomes more rampant and it becomes more abusive.
1: You can see he's utilizing the tools at his disposal, whether it's halcyon and the medications that he has access to in his in his uh, you know profession, or whether it's who is uh, accessible to him through his callings, through his work. I mean, as a father, it uh, really doesn't get worse than that.
0: And because of the gravitas that Michael Resendez has, he's incredibly well known. He's very well respected. You can't just call this fake news as in as much as a lot of people would like to, and the church, every time that Michael Resendez has an article, (laughs) every time he writes an article, the church almost immediately comes up with a response, and it's kind of an apologetic piece here. Let me just play this video for you, which basically summarizes the church's response to what we saw this week from the Goodrich sexual abuse case, and I'll get your reaction
4: tonight with claims from a former bishop's daughter accusing her father of sexually abusing her for more than a decade. Now in her mid-30s, Chelsea Goodrich says the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints tried to pay her $300,000 for her silence. Our ABC 4's Jonathan May has more on the story.
1: Is that you acknowledge that there's been some recordings made of all of our communications and uh, that you agree to destroy those recordings within 10 days of silence.
5: This is Chelsea Goodrich, She says when she was a child, her father, John Goodrich, who was a church bishop in Idaho at the time, had sexually abused her. The Associated Press says Bishop Michael Miller contacted the church's helpline after Goodrich made confessions to him that to this day remain private. The AP says Goodrich was later arrested on charges of sexual abuse, and the church excommunicated him. Chelsea says she asked the church if Bishop Miller could testify in the trial against her father. She says the church responded saying Miller would not be able to testify without her father's permission. A statement from the church says, his communications with his bishop were protected by Idaho state law. Only the perpetrator could release the bishop from his obligation under the clergy penitent privilege, and he refused to do so. The bishop was subpoenaed to testify in this case, but prosecutors released the Sabina and he was not recalled to testify. The AP says Bishop Miller did not testify and the case against Goodrich was dropped. In audio recordings obtained by the AP, Chelsea claims in 2017, a representative for the church offered her and her mother $300,000 on the condition that they agreed to not use Chelsea's story to sue the church and to never acknowledge the existence of the non-disclosure agreement.
3: I have authorization up
1: to $300,000 and I want to talk to you about that though, because um, how you decide to spend that is could be complicated. Mm-hmm. If a check is payable to the two of you...
5: The AP says the former bishop is now practicing dentistry. With
1: access to children.
5: The Associated Press says that Bishop Michael Miller did not testify due to laws in Idaho exempting clergy from cases like this.
1: I'll just say, thank Kolob. There is a recording. It's been shocking to see the responses of the membership, and I understand they've even protested at the AP. So again, the default is to attack the messenger. There's been, you know, very little accountability. I haven't seen any of the membership looking for accountability. It's always this is a hit piece. This is wrong. You don't have all the details. Well, now we have recordings. And how many times? I mean, if there wasn't a recording, who's going to believe this girl over a a bishop? I mean, the the power dynamic is just uh, all wrong again.
0: Yeah. And she wanted to get justice by, um, you know, filing a case against her father. But she needed the confessions that her father made to his bishop. Even though he was a bishop, he confessed his sins to Bishop Miller. So she is reaching out to Bishop Miller and says, you know what? we need to get this guy off of the streets because he's not only abused me, he's drugged other women and who knows what else he he still has access to children. But Bishop Miller said, no, I'm not going to release that. And the church again, we're seeing when the church lines up in these sexual abuse, who do they line up with? They're lining up with the perpetrator in this case, Mr. Goodrich, instead of the person who was abused in this case, which is uh, his daughter, Mrs. Goodrich.
1: Hide behind these loopholes. One thing, I've heard is that the uh, hotline is staffed by men who have been ordained as bishops, so they also retain that clergy privilege. So anywhere they can use these loopholes to their advantage, they're going to do it to, once again, protect the church, to protect leadership aware of abuse, and ultimately they're protecting the perpetrators over the victims.
0: Now I have not heard that particular claim of the helpline being staffed by bishops. My personal understanding is that the helpline is generally being staffed by um, social workers who don't have that kind of a privilege. Hence why allegedly the church is saying that they destroy the records at the end of every day because there is no privilege. If, If it was being staffed by all Mormon bishops then they would be able to have a privileged confessional sort of situation and they don't. That's why they allegedly destroy the records at the end of every day which is also extremely suspect, to put it mildly. Oh, absolutely. The
1: the description that came to me was they are uh, social workers, part of the legal f- team, but they have been uh, designated with uh, that bishop Uh, title, I guess. Uh,
0: I'll have to follow up with that one. I wasn't aware with that one, but um, it's something that I will definitely be keeping an eye out for. But, you know, White Cat Prophecy tweeted this, that we had him on the Mormon News Roundup, and I find this to be a very ironic take. It says, you know, if you look in the church's handbook, Enos, what is the church's official guidance on whether to pay tithing on abuse hush money? So she's supposed to pay tithing on that $300,000 or not? What's the uh, policy here?
1: Well, I think it's the same as uh, BYU employees. They're expected to hand back 10%. Uh, The church is always getting theirs.
0: Yeah, they definitely are. And uh, another couple of takes here from uh, Jen next door. The LDS Church says, well, we excommunicated a pedo. Good for us. But we won't report to police or testify or warn or tell anyone or protect the kids that are now in his path or ask if there are more victims as he met alone with lots of LDS kids here or help the victims with uh, without assigned signed NDA and deleting audio files. But yet we have zero tolerance people are seeing all a great deal of hypocrisy in this particular case
1: yeah zero tolerance for what I just have a hard time <laughs> listening to the same talking points over and over there's no uh, accountability no change in policy no public practice that uh, has been you know shared they, they keep it uh, on the inside so transparency is their enemy I'll, I'll say Jen next door she's a great follow everyone on uh, the Mormon verse if uh, Twitter should should jump on there
0: Yeah, every time that Michael Resendez releases an article, the church really quickly responds to it very forcefully, sometimes with more than one take. And that's why uh, Reformed Mormon on Twitter, he tweeted this out. If the AP story is just a fake news hit job, then why why hasn't the LDS church sued Michael Resendez and the Associated Press for defamation? If if you could prove it in court that the um, church did the right thing, then the, the settlement would be massive. And of course, the church is not going to sue the Associated Press. They're not going to sue Michael Resendez. And that's for a very good reason is because it seems like every time that we uncover something from Michael Resendez's reporting, it is spot on and confirms what all of us have supposed from the very beginning.
1: They have an entire legal firm on retainer. There's there's no reason they couldn't go down that road, but uh, they choose
0: not to. Yeah, for some reason they won't. Oh, they, well, yeah, he doesn't know his head from a hole in the ground. He's got his facts all mixed up. He, You know, he's completely ignorant. Uh, but but they don't sue him for some reason. I find that to be very remarkable. A couple of other takes here, and Jen next door also pointed this out from the AP uh, bombshell. It appears that the LDS Church tried to pay the three hundred thousand to get rid of evidence that they and that they lied about it, claiming that they kept no records of the abuse helpline calls, but in the recordings. They say that they can check the helpline records, which contradicts the court's testimony. So this is from the um, actual article here. Let me just read this to you. It says, in one of their recorded conversations, Ridding told Chelsea that he could check helpline records used by Miller to report the details of John Goodrich's confession to see whether her father had ever previously confessed to another bishop to abusing her. So that's, that's the difference in the West Virginia case, which was the original case that the AP broke before we had the West Virginia case, we've had the Arizona case, and now we've had this Idaho slash Washington case, all for Michael Resendez. We've heard time and time again, that the helpline records are destroyed at the end of every day so that they can't be referenced. But that's the problem is this particular ridding? he seems to contradict that. And it seems like we're catching the church in a lie on this one.
1: That's the implication that there are on the record records and off the record
0: records. You've heard of the Lighting the World campaign. Um Enos. I'm sure you've seen those giving machines. Absolutely. You know what they you know what they've got in those uh this uh this season giving season, Light the World one donation at a time. Do you know what you can buy for only $75 in those What's machines? That? What is that? Hush money. <laughs> yeah, you can just put $75 you know you know you may need to buy a whole bunch of those hush money payments from those giving machines because $300,000 that's a lot of vending machines, you know what I mean?
1: Well, someone's got to cover that uh, cost. And I'm sure the church is happy to have other people walking by unsuspectingly paying those dues.
0: I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Jasmine from Scripture Plus. She is up for uh,
1: mental gymnast of the year.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're uh, going to get into that at the end of the episode. Yes, you're right. But if you look at her comments section, this is what is the most important thing to me, because she's trying to defend the position that the church did everything right. And if you look at the comments, you hear what I would say is a typical Latter-day Saint reaction. Let me just give you a couple of these, and this is what you would typically see. Uh, The AP article is misrepresenting some things, or we appreciate you covering this. Thanks for clarifying. Thank you. I was troubled by this AP article yesterday. Then your video popped up in my feed today. I'm grateful for your point of view, and it is a testimony to me that God is aware of the details in my life. So it's amazing that this particular video from Jasmine is a testimony for this particular Latter-day Saint, But where was God when uh, Mrs. Goodrich was being abused? You know, I guess he wasn't there at that time. Seems like that would be a little bit more important.
1: Well, that's the problem with the priesthood discernment is it doesn't seem to exist when uh, the church is on trial. So, I mean, we have apologetics for truth claims. We have apologetics for uh, practices. And now we have apologetics for abuse cases.
0: This is not the only sexual abuse claim in the Mormon blogger sphere this week. Again, Tim Ballard is back in the limelight. Again, there's just so much sexual abuse in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's, it's almost hard to keep it all straight, but this is from the new lawsuit that was uh, filed here. New court filings accuse Tim Ballard of violent sexual assaults against his former assistant. So this lawsuit was already filed a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was. Now the uh, lawyers for the Les and Mike, they amended the original lawsuit here. And in the amended filing, it alleges that Operation Underground Railroad leaders, they knew of Ballard's alleged misconduct, but did nothing to protect it. And see, this is what we're seeing time and time again. Every time that church members find out about sexual abuse or bishops or other people, it seems like nobody ever, it's like nobody ever does anything about it. And a lot of people end up getting hurt many more than are necessary.
1: I'm sure they'll take credit for excommunicating Tim Ballard. That was a uh, public decision. Seemed like something they had no choice.
0: This is the most important thing from this article. Let me read this to you as well. The new filing alleges that after the Borises filed her original lawsuit, that Ballard allegedly texted her and offered to pay her money that she was seeking in the civil suit quote, I have always told you just to tell me what you want and I will pay it. I will give you whatever we owe you, end quote, reads a text thread included in the filing. So not only is the church trying to pay off sexual abuse survivors, that Tim Ballard is also trying to pay off sexual abuse survivors. The, the amount of hush money this week is really, it's it's absolutely horrific.
1: Well, money has never been the limiting factor in these cases. It's only integrity.
0: Part of this amended lawsuit is really insane here. Um, this is from Adam Herberts from Fox 13. And from the amended lawsuit, it could. Be... Tim Ballard, look, can you read this for us here? What, what did he write that he said that he was willing to do to save these children?
1: Oh, how dare you make me read this? I will do anything to save children or trafficked women, anything. I would. F a goat or pig or even a goldfish if it meant a child would be saved, wrote Tim Ballard in a text message.
0: He's willing to do the unthinkable here. But I just look at this. This is hypocrisy at its absolute worst. Unbelievable.
1: Well, I'm sure it was signed off by Elder Ballard. And so it's uh, it's excusable.
0: We're not the only ones here, uh, Enos, in the Mormon blogger knackle that are covering these particular events. In fact, there's a new program that it was uh, just launched here a couple of days ago here called the Mormon... Uh, Times Weekly, the Mormon Times Weekly show, which is uh, going to have a rotating panel of folks in it. They covered this uh, sexual abuse case here pretty thoroughly. And it had John DeLynn, Bill Real, Radio Free Mormon, Rebecca Biblioteca. They spent two and a half hours on this particular article. And it seems like they want to revive their Mormon news program. I, I watched the episode. I know you did too. What are your thoughts about this new Mormon news rooster in the hen house here, Enos? <laughs> it's
1: there's plenty of news to be covered. It seemed like their primary focus is to read the articles. Makes it easier to digest for uh, people on the go or people listening on a commute or something like that. But uh, that was a pretty lengthy episode for uh, covering one article.
0: It, it, it certainly was. I'll just say a couple of things here. I do. First of all, I do wish them the very best. But the last time they tossed their hat into the ring <laughs> with Patrick Mason and Jana Reese, they only lasted two episodes. It's uh, pretty hard to put on a weekly Mormon News uh, Roundup show, Enos.
1: Well, it's hard to get engagement from the other side. I'll say that.
0: John uh, Delin. he did send me an email. He said maybe he would do a collaboration with us over here at the Mormon News Roundup, which I certainly welcome. But uh, just a couple of humble suggestions for their new venture. Two and a half hours on one episode. I mean, Enos, even 60 Minutes, which is known for its deep dives, you know, they really (laughs) spend a lot of time. They spend a maximum of 14 minutes per episode. They spent two and a half hours on one episode. It's just, look, it's not necessarily my cup of tea to have that deep of a dive into an article. Now, some people, they, they really like that. I, and I can appreciate that. But what this podcast tries to do, which is a little bit different than what they're doing is trying to give you a complete picture of Mormondom in an hour and a half. And if you're spending two and a half hours on each episode, you're not going to be able to get the complete picture from the Mormon weekly news times program.
1: Well, it's easy to burn yourself out. I mean, these are heavy topics. Uh, You know, I'm, That's uh, the reason I kind of choose Twitter is if it can't fit in 140 characters, uh, we need to find another format.
0: As you mentioned, they did read the entire article to us. And, you know, quite frankly, look, I I can read an article. I read this article when it came out. I don't need it to be read to me. And that reminds me of one of our competitors here at the Mormon News Roundup. I guess I'm throwing a lot of shade around, but it's This Week in Mormons as well. Does a weekly Mormon news uh, program as well. And they are also very fond of reading entire articles to me. That's not really what I'm looking for. I I know our listeners are very smart. They can read articles. What they're looking for is hopefully insightful and um, entertaining commentary on the articles. And I think that uh, hopefully that uh, we can give that to you here at the Mormon News Roundup. And just one last thought on this new venture with John DeLynn and those folks. You know, the Vegas over under on this is four episodes, Enos. Are you taking the (laughs) over? Are you taking the under?
1: I'm going to take the under. You're on what, (laughs) episode 93 here? (laughs) This is 93. You're you're approaching syndication. At this
0: point. <laughs> yeah, we're coming up on 100 episodes, Enos. Oh, what are you going to do? Well, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about what we're going to do for the 100th episode, and I think I'm finally going to release that uh, footage of me storming the Capitol, you know, the uh, GoPro <laughs> that I was wearing. I know a lot of listeners have been looking forward to seeing that, and uh, I thought that that would be a good thing to release. Were you in a Captain Moroni suit? <laughs> that ties into one of our other articles this week, by the way. Yes, we're going to get into Captain Moroni storming the Capitol later on. Now, you can find the Mormon News Roundup on uh, TikTok we're on Instagram. Leave us a follow, leave us a comment, leave us, uh, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'd be very grateful for that. Okay, our next article is also very, very big here, the LDS Christmas Devotional, which is held every single December. This time it was held on December 3rd, and it had President Oaks, who, who was conducting, and we had President Nelson. He was presiding. Let's just give you a little uh, rundown of what happened in the Christmas Devotional.
4: The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints inviting all to come let us adore him Christ the Lord during the first presidency's Christmas devotional this evening. His pre-recorded address culminating the annual broadcast from the conference center on Temple Square in downtown Salt Lake City. The president and prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who celebrated his 99th birthday in September, was there for tonight's devotional. Saying in part, quote, what a joy it is to commence another Christmas season when we commemorate the birth of our Savior and Redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ,
0: Enos. What are your thoughts on this year's Christmas devotional? Well, that was quite the delivery by the news anchor. But uh, I
1: will say, I, I think Nelson is getting so old and, and frail; it just seems like elderly abuse at this point to wheel him out there. His comments were pre-recorded. Uh, it's about ten minutes with plenty of jump cuts and editing. Maybe they deep-faked it. Who knows anymore?
0: <laughs> you know that—that's interesting. You know, if they had had deep fakes, maybe Rulon Jeffs would still be ruling the FLDS Church. By the way. <laughs>
1: All I know is it definitely did not top his 2018 Christmas devotional where he teaches about ruling over planets.
0: Right. Yeah. He, he resurrected in the 2018 the planet ruling, which had been almost disavowed from the church starting in about 2012 with the Book of Mormon musical.
1: They also have a, a gospel topic essay. It's not dated. There's no author listed, but they do have one uh, refuting the president's
0: own words. Indeed, that is one of the most muddled uh, recent changes in Mormon doctrine that I can remember. You tweeted this out here, uh, Enos, about uh, Elder Gong. What did you notice when you watched the Christmas devotional with Elder Gong? What's going on here?
1: Oh, this was the highlight for sure. I, I did not expect them to bring out a top hat, but he brings out the top hat, sets it down, takes a look inside. It was magical.
0: You know, I guess they're trying to make top hats more and more familiar, you know? Uh, we know that President Nelson has also brought out the top hat and looked into it as well. I guess you're trying to normalize these type of hats, you know, looking into them.
1: Well, I know Brad Wilcox has one. I think uh, there was a another commenter who said, let's just put the teleprompter inside the hat and we'll have a real authentic profit and seer once again. Yeah,
0: definitely. I just want to see Gong just get that hat just a little closer to the face. That's my advice to him. Just bring that hat up about another 12 inches. You're getting there. You're getting close. It's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. The last article here that we're going to bring to you is this new blockbuster video that is coming out here. Moroni Enos, he's coming to the big screen, but some LDS scholars see some big problems. So this is going to be a feature length romance starring Moroni from the Book of Mormon. And it's raised some eyebrows among some historians who say the film perpetuates harmful stereotypes. What's your initial thought here on this new movie that's coming out here?
1: I know you uh, shared this with me, but like the Book Mormon itself, I'm still having a hard time believing this is even real. I can't believe (laughs) they're going for this one. This might be the lowest hanging fruit uh, for your Mormon movie reviews that you do.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's right. We'll have to wait and see if we can get that. Here's Here's some of the images here. The name of the movie is called The Oath. Here we have uh, Eugene Brave Rock on the right here playing alongside Billy Zane in the movie. And, you know, some people are saying that, you know, the whole idea of the mound builder myth is alive and well in this particular film with the dark and filthy Lamanites and the white and delightsome Nephites. And people are saying that that is a harmful colonial version of history that does not conform to reality.
1: I mean, who doesn't love Billy Zane?
0: (laughs) Darren Scott here, he wrote, directed, and he stars in the movie, and it took him more than a decade to make that. You know, he said that LDS conservatives, for some reason, they're drawn to Captain Moroni, which I find to be very remarkable. In fact, Mike Lee said that Donald Trump was a Captain Moroni. There's something special about Captain Moroni, especially for right-wing Mormons. There's just some kind of... uh, there's some kind of an affinity there. There's some kind of a uh, synergy that goes along with it that's uh, hard to explain.
1: Is this uh, Captain Moroni in the film, or this is the last Moroni in the Book of Mormon?
0: See, that's the, that's the question that I have. It seems like it's the last Moroni, not Captain Moroni. Mm-hmm. That's what it seems like to me here, because you know, there's two Moronis in the Book of Mormon. One was a great warrior general who was around... I want to say 100 BC, is that about right? Uh, I believe somewhere around Sounds that right. time frame. And then we have the last Moroni, which is 400 AD. So the question is, what is this movie about? And I believe it is about the second Moroni, which was the last surviving Nephite, the last white Nephite in the Americas.
1: I think they refer to him as a Hebraic survivor.
0: The Salt Lake Tribune gave us a very interesting summary of this movie, which I find to be very, very amusing. And it seems like the people over at the Salt Lake Tribune, um, they may need to read their Mormon scripture just a little bit better because when I play this for you, you're gonna hear some very unusual stuff about this uh, particular screening. This is a really weird clip here. Let me play this for you.
6: This is movie called The Oath, directed by Darren Scott, has been edited for over a decade. Originally, he wanted to make it a big war epic about Captain Moroni from the Book of Mormon, but things changed and now it's more about the Prophet Moroni's romance with a woman from an enemy group called the Lamanites. Making the film was no walk in the park for Scott, who even had to sell his own house at one point to help fund the project. And now, even though the movie hasn't been released yet, it's catching some heat with some folks saying it plays into stereotypes about Native Americans. Scott hired Native American actors like Eugene Braverock from Wonder Woman, who brought in his Blackfoot language, but some scholars still aren't happy, especially with how the film portrays the female lead and the Lamanites, saying it's tied up in some old problematic tropes. On top of all this, Captain Moroni has become a bit of a political symbol, making appearances at Trump rallies and even showing up at that Capitol protest on January 6th. Some scholars are side-eyeing this trend, saying it reflects a broader move among Christian conservatives to embrace these warrior type figures. But through all the controversy, Scott's standing his ground, saying the is all about unity and goodness, trying to bring people together in these crazy times. The oath hits more than 650 theaters on December 8th, closing the chapter on Scott's long or bumpy road to bring this story to life.
0: So a couple of takeaways. First of all, Maroney. And the Lamanites? <laughs>
1: Sounds like uh, and cheese.
6: I
0: mean, this is the official Salt Lake Tribune channel. This isn't just some TikTok hack. I mean, are oh, aware. You couldn't get somebody to say the names properly. And by the way, the names in the Book of Mormon, all, most of them we really have no idea what they're supposed to sound like, by the way. They didn't come with the pronunciation guide. The church has standardized for the, the pronunciation of the Book of Mormon, and we really have no idea if it's correct. I mean, Joseph Smith presumably said some of these names like Nephi, Moroni, and the other ones. And so we're kind of basing the rest of the pronunciation on what we've come to basically standardize, but come on, Lamanites and Moroni, come on, can you guys just do a little bit better? I wonder
1: what uh, the name of the love interest will be. I think it's hilarious that they're trying to put a uh, new woman into the Book of Mormon. It's definitely a blind spot from the author, Joseph Smith. He can never write female characters.
0: Absolutely not. The Book of Mormon only has three named characters uh, besides Mary, the mother of Jesus. You had Isabel, the harlot. You have Abish, and then okay, I'm gonna put you on the spot. You were a seminary teacher, right, Enos? Who's the last one? I'm gonna put you on the spot here.
1: Uh, is it uh, Lamoni's wife?
0: Not named. Saraya, Lehi's oh, wife.
1: Oh my goodness, we we might need to back that one up. I, no, we're not editing
0: that out. We're not. That is
1: embarrassing. It's no, been I a know. while.
0: I've got to to establish my Mormon uh, ego supremacy (laughs) somewhere. And this is the only place that I can do it. But yes, if we're going to have a love interest with Moroni, the problem is is that nobody in the Book of Mormon, there's no women for the last, like (laughs) there's no women in the last 400 years of the Book of Mormon.
1: No, not at all. Are they going for a Mesoamerican or a Heartland backdrop on this movie?
0: I don't think that they have, I, you, you know, a lot of Latter-day Saints think deeply about these things and there's a lot of infighting. I don't think that uh, Darren Scott has thought too heavily about where this is supposed to take place. But he uh, did release a video where he gave some thoughts on it. It's a long video. It's all about 13 minutes long. I'm only going to play you a little bit here, but he's uh, he basically calling out the church and he released this onto YouTube. And he said, this is an open letter to the church about his Book of Mormon epic.
3: I hope you find yourselves happy and well. I don't do this very often, but I have something to say and it gives me no pleasure to say it, but I've come to the conclusion this is the only way to, I hope, bridge understanding and bring about positive change, specifically within my church. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Some call us Mormons because We profess a record of Jesus Christ visiting ancient America in 34 AD after his resurrection. I'm the writer and director of the first major-scale epic inspired by the Book of Mormon called The Oath, which releases in more than 600 USA theaters this Friday, December 8th. The making of The Oath was an arduous 13-year journey involving over 70 souls, nearly all of whom are not members of my church. My public relations, marketing, and distribution teams for the oath are likewise almost all not members of my church. I'm honored to belong to a church that does so much good in a world where goodness is so desperately needed.
4: Hi, everybody. It's Rebecca Biblioteca from Mormonish Podcast. I wanted to do a quick little movie review here on Mormon News Roundup of the new movie that came out this weekend called The Oath. Produced Directed and starred in by Darren Scott, also known as Darren Southam. So, we've been seeing trailers for this for the last little while. It's a Book of Mormon movie. Um, Apparently, it's been 13 years in the making. (laughs) There was a fundraising campaign, a Kickstarter that started years ago. It was originally supposed to be a movie about Captain Moroni, title of Liberty Captain Moroni, but that's harder to make. Lots of people needed for that. This is about. Moroni Moroni on top of the temple Moroni and it's the story of Moroni as he's wandering around finishing the golden plates and he's being hunted down by an evil Lamanite king it's also the story of a Lamanite woman that he encounters it's actually a love story it's very different than the original movie it was meant to be so we saw this in the theater it was fairly well attended where we are as I understand it in Utah the theaters are selling out or having a lot of um, attendance in other places not so much I've seen screenshots where maybe one seat is sold it's a very different movie I thought it was going to be something that I it was kind of campy maybe I could you know make do some comedy about it was actually a little more disturbing than that I found um, dark kind of gory it's being promoted as a family film. there were definitely you know there's and I'm not talking just like kind of sword fighting violence there were a lot of metal swords I will say that a lot of reading and writing a lot of you know parchments and plates and full literacy makes me think of my John Lundwell episodes just sort of more of a gory um, element to it things that I wouldn't necessarily, take a child to see. So that's kind of interesting. Um, Before the movie was released, the director, producer, actor put out a little impassioned video to the church. It was called an open letter to the church where he talked about, you know, he doesn't understand why the church has not come out with a statement about this, go see this movie, or even acknowledging its existence. Um, I feel the reasons for that is because it's clearly set in the heartland. There are wolves, bears, bald eagles. So, you know, the church never really wants to weigh in on heartland versus Mesoamerica. So we think that may be part of it. Um, the reviews are not great. I think 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Some one reviewer said aggressively bad. You know, There are reviews like that out there. So uh, to me, it had a lot of Tim Ballard type vibes to it. The word freedom flashed on the screen a lot. There was a lot of talk of liberty and freedom. So I think they were trying to get those Captain Moroni elements in there. Because again, as I said, this movie was originally supposed to be that. There is a trailer out there called Reign of Judges, which sort of shows the original idea. I feel like it might be something where they had to put this out maybe to make some more money so that they can get back to the original title of Liberty Captain Moroni movie they were trying to make. But I should say at the beginning, the director, actor, producer, Darren Scott comes on, tells everybody what they're about to see, how much they're going to like it. It's for family. Um, At the end, he also comes back on and tells everybody that it's important to protect liberty, to have peace. There's a barcode on the screen that you can sign. It takes you directly to, well, a place to buy tickets, pay it forward tickets, but also to a place where you can sign an oath. It's a very long oath. It's a document um, to be peaceful, to do your best, to protect liberty, home, things like that. Anyway, it has a lot of those kind of vibes to it. So I don't know if I would encourage people to go see it themselves. To me, I was disturbed actually by it. I saw it with my co-host Landon, and really we thought it would be kind of funny, something maybe to sort of make light of but it was a little more disturbing, especially with all the cheers and clapping at the end of it in our particular theater. So I don't know, go see it yourself if you dare. And, you know, let us know here on Mormon News Roundup what you think about it. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. We'll see you at the movies.
0: (laughs) What's your initial reactions here to the oath and Darren Scott's open letter to the church?
1: He seems a, a little naive to me to think uh, the church is going to go out and promote something that was independently developed, especially when it deals with truth claims. I think the church is trying to distance themselves from the historicity of the Book of Mormon. Any uh, you know narrative portrayal of the Book of Mormon, it's going to be problematic no matter what he does. So, I mean, the cards are stacked against them.
0: I do the Mormon Movie Reviews channel, so I guess I know a thing or two about Mormon movies. So, first of all, a lot of the, big, the biggest budget... Mormon movie really of all time is the work on the glory, which was not funded by the church. It was bankrolled by Larry H. Miller. If you want to bring a a big time feature film to the silver screen, it's going to be from wealthy Mormon donors or investors. It's not going to be from the church itself, because like you said, you know, the church is taking Moroni off of the top of its buildings. It is walking away from historicity of the Book of Mormon. Instead of we had like Quentin Cook a couple of months ago, tweeting out about how the Book of Mormon is internally reliable instead of being historically accurate. And he spends the rest of the 10 minutes of that YouTube griping about all the sacrifices that he made, uh, that uh, he mortgaged his home and all the suffering that he endured and that his church didn't kick in enough money for this particular venture.
1: It is sad. I My heart goes out to him.
0: The biggest feature film that the church ever bankrolled, I also know this is probably the Meet the Mormons film, which was in 2014. And by the way, the church also produced a Meet the Mormons back in 1973. That's actually a sequel. And the budget on that film is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of $5 million. So you're not gonna get a huge blockbuster that the church is gonna be investing in. The church is very stingy with its money. The church does do venture capital, but they're not gonna do venture capital for movies like this.
1: No, definitely not.
0: The I, last okay. thing I just want to mention about this particular movie is the number of screens that was released onto to six hundred. I know if you compare it to Mar- Marvel movies or some of these other summer blockbusters, that doesn't seem like very much. But if you were to compare it to say uh, the Return Missionary or the Singles War or the Home Teachers or some of or God's Army. A lot of those films, they were only released to, say, 40 or 50 theaters. So this is actually one of the biggest Mormon movies that's going to be released to a wide audience that we've seen in quite some time.
1: Well, somehow it escaped you know my purview, so I, I didn't even see this one coming. Uh, I might actually give it a watch.
0: You need to work on your spirit of discernment. You probably need to hang around with uh, M. Russell Ballard a little bit more to polish up on your discernment. Sounds right. <laughs> that does bring us to our mormon news roundup poll of the week now we release enos every single sunday night we release live episode of the mormon news roundup on sunday night at 9 30 p.m eastern standard time on youtube and we also release an episode every monday night at 9 30 p.m standard time for the mormon movie reviews on monday nights so i want you to be the first person to take our particular poll this week and for those of you in the live chat get ready to cast your votes so what is the poll of the week enos
1: so we have, uh, what scenes do you want to see the most in the new Moroni-inspired feature-length movie?
0: Right, yeah, there could be some good stuff in here. So uh, we're going to start with number one.
1: <laughs> Moroni in jail after he storms the U.S. Capitol.
0: You know, the funny thing about it is that the uh, <laughs> the guy who went to jail here, um, they actually thought that his outfit was based off of a Roman gladiator, but he himself identified as Captain Moroni, and his name was Nathan and Um he was from Arizona, and he ended up spending 45 days in jail because uh, the title of Liberty, I guess, needed um, needed to go to prison.
1: Well, that would definitely be a Heartland model if he's uh, <laughs> in
0: the U.S. Capitol. That's a good point, but I would love to see that as part of this movie. Not sure if it's going to be there. Or how about number two?
1: I pissed off that the toad in the box is getting all the credit.
0: That darn toad in the box. Or, or was it a salamander? I always forget. <laughs>
1: Well, the toad was the official one. The salamander was the hoax. Um, I mean,
0: the uh, Right, The oaks, right, that's <laughs> right, That's right. That's uh, right. Yeah, I'd like to see that in the movie. I'd like to see the toad. Not sure if we're going to see that. Or um, how about number three?
1: Moroni mad that he's getting the boot off the tops of the new temples.
0: Yeah, five out of six temples that are announced by the church, by the way, do not have the angel Moroni on the top. Uh, This is, I believe, a rendering of, I think that's either the Heber or Cody White. I think that's the Heber temple. Uh, And he is getting the boot off of the top. As you mentioned earlier, Enos, the church is de-emphasizing Moroni and the Book of Mormon in favor of a more, uh, shall we say, mainline Christian look.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if uh, the director has him holding a trumpet at any point in this film.
0: Good call. Or how about number four?
1: An exhausted Moroni trudging to Manti and then to the Hill Cumora.
0: Yeah, so this is a picture actually of Manti, and there is a sculpture there of Moroni, because of the legendary story. I think it's from Brigham Young, right? Who said that Moroni trudged all the way to the Manti, which is in the central part of Utah, and then went over to the Hill Cumora to deposit the plates. I'd love to see that journey. That'd be a heck of a thing to see. Well,
1: you know, the seer stone made the opposite trip, where it was consecrated on the Manti altar.
0: Oh, really? I, yeah, I wasn't aware of that one. Good call. All uh, right, how about number five?
1: Number five, Moroni miffed that his symbol is getting replaced by crosses.
0: Yeah, he used to be the symbol for the church. In fact, uh, if you were a member of the uh, U.S. Armed Forces, your dog tags would have the symbol of Moroni on there. Um, well, that's getting the boot instead. The church is trying to go more mainstream and is utilizing crosses. What I want to see in the movie is Moroni getting kind of mad. He, not only is he getting the boot off the temples, he's getting replaced as the icon. It seems like
1: a minor victory for Satan.
0: (laughs) Well, I always thought that we should rename the Book of Mormon to the Book of Moroni's dad, and that would be a (laughs) lot more holy um, and following President Nelson's inspired guidance.
1: Sounds better than the Book of Satan's victories.
0: Yeah, you betcha. Or how about number six? Moroni exhaustively picking up
1: all the spears, arrowheads, and swords by the Hill Cumorah all by himself.
0: Yeah, that's a clean hill there, Enos. There's nothing on that hill. And, you know, it took, you know, with how many people died on that hill? First of all, we had 5 million Jaredites. And then we had, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of a half million Nephites and Lamanites who all died on that same hill. Do you know how long it took him to pick all those up? I think that that should be in the DVD extras, because that probably would take him quite a long time to get rid of all of the evidence and put it out in the ocean somewhere.
1: Well, somebody's got to clean up the mess. I mean, uh, this probably inspired all of the uh, membership cleaning the church buildings every week.
0: It stands to reason for sure. Or how about number seven? Number seven, Joseph Smith narrating, but
1: all the time he gets mixed up calling Moroni Nephi.
0: Yeah, that's the thing is that sometimes at the beginning we had different accounts of whether it was an unnamed angel, then sometimes it was Nephi, and then sometimes it was Moroni. It took a while for us to finally settle on the concept of Moroni as being the treasure guardian spirit for the Book of Mormon. And if we want to make The Oath a very off- historically authentic movie, we should probably mess that up for a while, for about half of the movie as well.
1: That would be in keeping with the theme.
0: Our, how about number eight?
1: Number eight, a hot love scene between Abish and Moroni.
0: Unfortunately, they lived hundreds of years apart, but that's the problem here: <laughs> is that there's no women in the Book of Mormon. So, I, if you're going to have a love scene in the Book of Mormon, I don't know who's who it's going to be with. I don't know Moroni, maybe a same-sex relationship. Maybe we're going to maybe that oath is going to go really edgy.
1: Well, it could be polyandrous with Sarai. Uh,
0: all of the above. Uh, you know. I, I, I just want to see it definitely. Or how about number nine?
1: Number nine, Moroni showcasing his legendary pet monkey.
0: Supposedly, uh, Joseph Smith saw. Uh, A man on the side of the road who had a box inside of the box was a pet monkey. And the man said, well, if you pay me, I think it was a a small sum of money. It was something like $5. Maybe it was less than that. Then you can see the monkey. And Joseph Smith said, no, I've seen hundreds of monkeys and walked away. But it turns out that that was Moroni who was trying to give Joseph Smith back the plates. Man, who knew?
1: (laughs) Well, this might argue for the Mesoamerican theory if we're talking about uh, jungle creatures.
0: Yeah, I just want to see it in the movie. Moroni with his pet monkey, that'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> or how about number 10?
1: Number 10, Moroni's finally explains why he never wears garments.
0: That's a good question. You know, I've always wondered that as the first angelic messenger of the Restoration, why he was wearing a single tunic where you could see directly into his bosom. And you know what, Enos? He never wore his garments.
1: Oh, this is an artist's depiction. You can't hold them accountable for approving and printing (laughs) and publishing this kind of material.
0: Okay, that's a a good apologetic, Enos. And that does take us to our Mormon News Roundup Poll of the Week. What do you want to see in the new Moroni-inspired feature-length movie? You have 10 choices, Enos. Will you be the first person to take our poll?
1: Oh, I'm going with number six all the way. The historic truth claims need to be explored and vetted. This is an important one.
0: Yeah, number six is Moroni exhaustively picking up all the spears, arrowheads, and swords from the hill Camorra all by himself. That way they would leave no trace behind because we need to live by faith and not by the slightest shred of evidence. That's that's a solid selection for you. Number six, that's for sure. Um, I would just think it's number one for me. Moroni in jail after he storms the US Capitol. I think that'd be a, a thrilling conclusion to the end of the movie. Not sure if it's going to be there. For those of you in the live chat, uh, thanks for voting. We really appreciate that. And that is going to take us to our final segment here, Enos, which is the joke of the week. I sent a few funny
1: ones that I thought we could share. Uh, well, this first one has Mori Povich. It says, when it comes to the Lamanites, DNA results confirm." They are not your principal ancestors.
0: Oh, right. Because he does the, the paternity tests and then everybody's sweating it out. And then there's a lot of drama. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. But you got more than one joke, right? Okay. What's the second one here?
1: My mother upset that one of her six kids doesn't believe in the church. Me not telling her it's actually four out of the six.
0: Yeah, that seems to be pretty common these days for sure. That's good. Two more here. What are we seeing here?
1: Well, this is a uh, recent trend there's been a lot of uh, tbm and does accounts who embrace the lego avatars so i was pretty excited to see elder bednar has also embraced the lego look
0: that's a very very good look for him for sure no problem absolutely and the new hymnal is supposedly coming out here in a couple of years but in the meantime uh, what are we going to be seeing uh, as far as this meme
1: well from january to october you might have an annoying hymn stuck in your head but from november to december We've got the beautiful Mariah Carey.
0: All I want for Christmas, right? That's right. Yeah, so uh, Enos, uh, thanks so much for ruminating with me on the Great and Spacious Beehive, as we call it. And what can we expect to see from you in the near future? What kind of projects are you working on?
1: Well, uh, like we mentioned, uh, we do have the Mormon Question of the Day, which are weekday polls on Twitter. So follow at Enos underscore Envy to add your vote. It could be something simple like what's the scariest room in a ward building or uh, doctrinal like how many gods exist in Mormon theology. Uh, Today I think it was what C word best describes the Mormon church and we had con, corrupt, corporation, and cult.
0: I did vote on that and I did select corporation because I enjoy watching the church and its corporate ventures. So I did take your poll of the week. I generally do every single day. But yeah, would love to have a live update.
1: So it looks like you're winning with 38.4%. Corporation is in first, Colt is in second, Khan is in third, and corrupt
0: takes the back seat. Well, Enos, I'm a real trendsetter. That's the thing about <laughs> when when you when your talent on loan from collab people, they just they flock to me. What can I tell you? You know, what can I tell you? <laughs> you also do the aposties as well. What's that all about?
1: So this is the annual Exmo Awards on Twitter. We had our first one this year in 2023. So I'll be taking nominations starting in January. So we have a panel of XMOs who select winners, which get announced each hour of the April General Conference. So in 2024, we'll announce the 2023 winners. We'd definitely like to host a live aposties in person at a Chili's someday somewhere. We'll have to have uh, Colch handle our parody musical numbers.
0: Well, that sounds tremendous. I want to thank you so much again for coming on the Mormon News Roundup. I want to give a shout out to Weird Alma on Bandcamp.com for this episode's music. And remember, remember,
1: no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. So long. When it comes to nicknames
3: of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major Major victory victory for Satan. 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 Satan.